Chapter 12 Causation Every cause has its effect, every effect has its cause, everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. The Kybalion. The great six hermetic principle, the principle of cause and effect, embodies the truth that law pervades the universe. That nothing happens by chance. That chance is merely a term indicating cause existing but not recognized or perceived. That phenomena is continuous without break or exception. The principle of cause and effect underlies all scientific thought, ancient and modern, and was enunciated by the Hermetic teachers in the earliest days. While many and varied disputes between the many schools of thought have since arisen, these disputes have been principally upon the details of the operations of the principle, and still more often upon the meaning of certain words. The underlying principle of cause and effect has been accepted as correct by practically all the thinkers of the world worthy of the name. To think otherwise would be to take the phenomena of the universe from the domain of law and order and to regulate it to the control of the imaginary something which men have called chance. A little consideration will show anyone that there is in reality no such thing as pure chance. Webster defines the word chance as follows, a supposed agent or mode of activity other than a force, law, or purpose, the operation or activity of such agent, the supposed effect of such an agent, a happening, fortuity, causality, etc., but a little consideration will show you that there can be no such agent as chance. In the sense of something outside of law, something outside of cause and effect. How could there be a something acting in the phenomenal universe, independent of the laws, order, and continuity of the latter? Such a something would be entirely independent of the orderly trend of the universe, and therefore superior to it. We can imagine nothing outside of the all being outside of the law, and that only because the all is the law itself. There is no room in the universe for a something outside of and independent of the law. The existence of such a something would render all natural laws ineffective and would plunge the universe into chaotic disorder and lawlessness. A careful examination will show that what we call chance is merely an expression relating to obscure causes, causes that we cannot perceive, causes that we cannot understand. The word chance is derived from a word meaning to fall, as the falling of dice. The idea being that the fall of the dice and many other happenings are merely a happening unrelated to any cause. And this is the sense in which the term is generally employed. But when the matter is closely examined, it is seen that there is no chance whatsoever about the fall of the dice. Each time a die falls and displays a certain number, it obeys a law as infallible as that which governs the revolution of the planets around the sun. 
Back of the fall of the die are causes, or chains of causes, running back further than the mind can follow. The position of the die in the box, the amount of muscular energy expended in the throw, the condition of the table, etc., etc., all are causes, the effect of which may be seen. But back of these seen causes, there are chains of unseen preceding causes, all of which had a bearing upon the number of the die which fell uppermost. If a die be cast a great number of times, it will be found that the numbers shown will be about equal. That is, there will be an equal number of one spot, two spot, etc. coming uppermost. Toss a penny in the air, and it may come down either heads or tails, but make a sufficient number of tosses, and the heads and tails will end up about even. This is the operation of the law of average, but both the average and the single toss come under the law of cause and effect. And if we were able to examine into the preceding causes, it would be clearly seen that it was simply impossible for the die to fall other than it did, under the same circumstances and at the same time. Given the same causes, the same results will follow. There is always a cause and a because to every event. Nothing ever happens without a cause or rather a chain of causes. Some confusion has arisen in the minds of persons considering this principle from the fact that they were unable to explain how one thing could cause another thing, that is, be the creator of the second thing. As a matter of fact, no thing ever causes or creates another thing. Cause and effect deals merely with events. An event is that which comes, arrives, or happens as a result or consequent of some preceding event. No event creates another event, but is merely a preceding link in the great orderly chain of events flowing from the creative energy of the all. There is a continuity between all events precedent, consequent and subsequent. There is a relation existing between everything that has gone before and everything that follows. A stone is dislodged from a mountainside and crashes through a roof of a cottage in the valley below. At first sight, we regard this as a chance effect, but when we examine the matter, we find a great chain of causes behind it. In the first place, there was a rain which softened the earth, supporting the stone, and which allowed it to fall. Then back of that was the influence of the sun, other rains, etc., which gradually disintegrated the piece of rock from a larger piece. Then there were the causes which led to the formation of the mountain and its upheaval by convulsions of nature and so on ad infinitum. Then we might follow up the causes behind the rain, etc. Then we might consider the existence of the roof in short. We would soon find ourselves involved in a mesh of cause and effect from which we would soon strive to extricate ourselves.
Just as a man has two parents and four grandparents and eight great-grandparents and 16 great-great-grandparents and so on until when, say, 40 generations are calculated, the numbers of ancestors run into many millions, so it is with the number of causes behind even the most trifling event or phenomena, such as the passage of a tiny speck of spot before your eye. It is not an easy matter to trace the bit of soot back to the early period of the world's history when it formed a part of a massive tree trunk which was afterward converted into coal and so on until as the speck of soot it now passes before your vision on its way to other adventures and a mighty chain of events, causes, and effects brought it to its present condition, and the latter is but one of the chain of events which will go to produce other events hundreds of years from now. One of the series of events arising from the tiny bit of soot was the writing of these lines, which caused the typesetter to perform certain work the proofreader to do likewise, and which will arouse certain thoughts in your mind and that of others, which in turn will affect others, and so on and on and on, beyond the ability of man to think further and all from the passages of a tiny bit of soot, all of which shows a relativity and association of things and the further fact that there is no great, there is no small, in the mind that causeth all. Stop to think a moment. If a certain man had not met a certain maid away back in the dim period of the Stone Age, you who are now reading these lines would not now be here. And if perhaps the same couple had failed to meet, we who now write these lines would not now be here. And the very act of writing on our part and the act of reading on yours will affect not only the respective lives of yourself and ourselves, but will also have a direct or indirect effect upon many other people now living and who will live in the ages to come. Every thought we think, every act we perform, has its direct and indirect results which fit into the great chain of cause and effect. We do not wish to enter into a consideration of free will or determinism in this work for various reasons. Among the many reasons is the principle one that neither side of the controversy is entirely right in fact. Both sides are partially right, according to the Hermetic teachings. The principle of polarity shows that both are but half-truths, the opposing poles of truth. The teachings are that a man may be both free and yet bound by necessity, depending upon the meaning of the terms and the height of truth from which the matter is examined. The ancient writers express the matter thus, the further the creation is from the center, the more it is bound. The nearer the center it reaches, the nearer free is it. The majority of people are more or less the slaves of heredity, environment, etc., and manifest very little freedom. 
They are swayed by the opinions, customs, and thoughts of the outside world, and also by their emotions, feelings, moods, etc. They manifest no mastery worthy of the name. They indignantly repudiate this assertion, saying, Why, I certainly am free to act and do as I please. I do just what I want to do. But they fail to explain whence arise the want to and as I please. What makes them want to do one thing is preference to another. What makes them please to do this and not do that? Is there a because to their pleasing and wanting? The master can change these pleases and wants into others at the opposite end of the mental pole. He is able to will to will instead of to will because some feeling, mood, emotion, or environmental suggestion arouses a tendency or desire within him so to do. The majority of people are carried along like the falling stone obedient to environment, outside influences and internal moods, desires, etc., not to speak of the desires and wills of others stronger than themselves. Heredity, environment, and suggestion carry them along without resistance on their part or the exercise of the will. Moved like the pawns on the checkerboard of life, they play their parts and are laid aside after the game is over. But the masters, knowing the rules of the game, rise above the plane of material life and placing themselves in touch with the higher powers of their nature, dominate their own moods characters, qualities, and polarity, as well as the environment surrounding them and thus become movers in the game instead of pawns, causes, instead of effects. The masters do not escape the causation of the higher planes, but fall in with the higher laws and thus master circumstances on the lower plane. They thus form a conscious part of the law instead of being mere blind instruments. While they serve on the higher planes, they rule on the material plane. But on higher and on lower, the law is always in operation. There is no such thing as chance. The blind goddess has been abolished by reason. We are able to see now with eyes made clear by knowledge that everything is governed by universal law, that the infinite number of laws are but manifestations of the one great law, the law which is the all. It is true indeed that not a sparrow drops unnoticed by the mind of the all, that even the hairs on our head are numbered. As the scriptures have said, there is nothing outside of law, nothing that happens contrary to it. And yet do not make the mistake of supposing that man is but a blind automaton far from that. The hermetic teachings are that man may use law to overcome laws and that the higher will always prevail against the lower until at last he has reached the stage in which he seeks refuge in the law itself and laughs the phenomenal laws to scorn. Are you able to grasp the inner meaning of this? Chapter 13. Gender Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. The Kybalion. 
The great seventh hermetic principle, the principle of gender, embodies the truth that there is gender manifested in everything, that the masculine and feminine principles are ever-present and active in all phases of phenomena on each and every plane of life. At this point, we think it well to call your attention to the fact that gender, in its hermetic sense, and sex, in the ordinarily accepted use of the term, are not the same. The word gender is derived from the Latin root meaning to beget, to procreate, to generate, to create, to produce. A moment's consideration will show you that the word has a much broader and more general meaning than the term sex, the latter referring to the physical distinctions between male and female living things. Sex is merely a manifestation of gender on a certain plane of the great physical plane, the plane of organic life. We wish to impress this distinction upon your minds for the reason that certain writers who have acquired a smattering of the hermetic philosophy have sought to identify this seventh hermetic principle with wild and fanciful and often reprehensible theories and teachings regarding sex. The office of gender is solely that of creating, producing, generating, etc., and its manifestation are visible on every plane of phenomena. It is somewhat difficult to produce proofs of this along scientific lines. For the reason that science has not as yet recognized this principle as of universal application, but still some proofs are forthcoming from scientific sources. In the first place, we find a distinct manifestation of the principle of gender among the corpuscules, ions, or electrons, which constitute the basis of matter as science now knows the latter, and which by forming certain combinations form the atom, which until lately was regarded as final and indivisible. The latest word of science is that the atom is composed of a multitude of corpuscules, electrons, or ions, the various names being applied by different authorities, revolving around each other and vibrating at a high degree and intensity. But the accompanying statement is made that the formation of the atom is really due to the clustering of negative corpuscules around a positive one. The positive corpuscules seeming to exert a certain influence upon the negative corpuscules, causing the latter to assume certain combinations and thus create or generate an atom. This is in line with the most ancient hermetic teachings, which have always identified the masculine principle of gender with the positive and the feminine with the negative poles of electricity, so-called. Now, a word at this point regarding this identification. The public mind has formed an entirely erroneous impression regarding the qualities of the so-called negative pole of electrified or magnetized matter. The terms positive and negative are very wrongly applied to this phenomena by science. The word positive means something real and strong as compared with a negative unreality or weakness. Nothing is further from the real facts of electrical phenomena. 
The so-called negative pull of the battery is really the pull in and by which the generation or production of new forms of energies is manifested. There is nothing negative about it. The best scientific authorities now use the word cathode in place of negative. The word cathode coming from the Greek root meaning descent, the path of generation, etc., from the cathode pole emerged the swarm of electrons or corpuscles. From the same pole emerged those wonderful rays which have revolutionized scientific conceptions during the past decade. The cathode pole is the mother of all the strange phenomena which have rendered useless the old textbooks and which have caused many long accepted theories to be relegated to the scrap pile of scientific speculation. The cathode or negative pole is the mother principle of electrical phenomena and of the finest forms of matter as yet known to science. So you see, we are justified in refusing to use the term negative in our consideration of the subject and in insisting upon substituting the word feminine for the old term. The facts of the case bear us out in this, without taking the hermetic teachings into consideration, and so we shall use the word feminine in the place of negative in speaking of that pole of activity. The latest scientific teachings are that the creative corpuscules or electrons are feminine. Science says they are composed of negative electricity. We say they are composed of feminine energy. A feminine corpuscule becomes detached from or rather leaves a masculine corpuscule and starts on a new career. It actively seeks a union with a masculine corpuscule, being urged thereto by the natural impulse to create new forms of matter or energy. One writer goes as far as to use the term it at once seeks of its own volition a union, etc. This detachment and uniting form the basis of the greater part of the activities of the chemical world. When the feminine corpuscule unites with the masculine corpuscule, a certain process is begun. The feminine particles vibrate rapidly under the influence of the masculine energy and circle rapidly around the latter. The result is the birth of a new atom. This new atom is really composed of a union of the masculine and feminine electrons or corpuscules, but when the union is formed, the atom is a separate thing, having certain properties, but no longer manifesting the property of free electricity. The process of detachment or separation of the feminine electrons is called ionization. These electrons or corpuscules are the most active workers in nature's field, arising from their unions or combinations, manifest the varied phenomena of light, heat, electricity, magnetism, attraction, repulsion, chemical affinity, and the reverse, and similar phenomena. And all this arises from the operation of the principle of gender on the plane of energy. 
The part of the masculine principle seems to be that of directing a certain inherent energy toward the feminine principle and thus starting into activity the creative processes. But the feminine principle is the one always doing the active creative work and this is so on all planes. And yet each principle is incapable of operative energy without the assistance of the other. In some of the forms of life the two principles are combined in one organism. For that matter, everything in the organic world manifests both genders. There is always the masculine present in the feminine form and the feminine form. The Hermetic teachings include much regarding the operation of the two principles of gender in the production and manifestation of various forms of energy, etc., but we do not deem it expedient to go into detail regarding the same at this point because we are unable to back up the same with scientific proof for the reason that science has not as yet progressed thus far. But the example we have given you of the phenomena of the electrons or corpuscules will show you that the science is on the right path and will also give you a general idea of the underlying principles. Some leading scientific investigators have announced their belief that in the formation of crystals there was to be found something that corresponded to sex activity, which is another straw showing the direction the scientific winds are blowing. And each year will bring other facts to corroborate the correctness of the hermetic principle of gender. It will be found that gender is in constant operation and manifestation in the field of inorganic matter and in the field of energy or force. Electricity is now generally regarded as the something into which all other forms of energy seem to melt or dissolve. The electrical theory of the universe is the latest scientific doctrine and is growing rapidly in popularity and general acceptance. And it thus follows that if we are able to discover in the phenomena of electricity even at the very root and source of its manifestations a clear and unmistakable evidence of the presence of gender and its activities, we are justified in asking you to believe that science at last has offered proofs of the existence in all universal phenomena of the great hermetic principle, the principle of gender. It is not necessary to take up your time with the well-known phenomena of the attraction and repulsion of the atoms, chemical affinity, the loves and hates of the atomic particles, the attraction or cohesion between the molecules of matter. These facts are too well known to need extended comment from us, but have you ever considered that all of these things are manifestations of the gender principle? Can you not see that the phenomena is on all fours with that of the corpuscules or electrons? And more than this, can you not see the reasonableness of the hermetic teachings which assert that the very law of gravitation, that strange attraction by reason of which all particles and bodies of matter in the universe tend toward each other, is but another manifestation of the principle of gender, which operates in the direction of attracting the masculine to the feminine energies and vice versa? 
We cannot offer you scientific proof of this at this time, but examine the phenomena in the light of the hermetic teachings on the subject and see if you have not a better working hypothesis than any offered by physical science. Submit all physical phenomena to the test and you will discern the principle of gender ever in evidence. Let us now pass on to a consideration of the operation of the principle on the mental plane. Many interesting features are there awaiting examination.